Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. We are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. Please support this mission by subscribing to and rating the show on your favorite podcast channel, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Anchor, or anywhere else. By doing so, you'll help others find the help which just might save their life. Also, please help by sharing a link to the show on all of your social media channels every time a new episode drops. And always remember to recover out loud. And we're rolling live for an incredibly special edition of Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. I have with me a special guest who's very nervous today, but we're going to fix that. We'll, we'll have her settling right in and feeling at home in no time at all. Guaranteed. See, this is my Jedi mind trick, Karen. Okay. <laughs> um, yesterday was National Indigenous Veterans Day. It's um, it's a day of recognition that is fairly new to Canada, hasn't been around very long, and it is long overdue. And there are many, many very notable First Nations veterans um, who easily fall under the category of war hero. And within our regiment, the Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry, of which today in studio I also have Mike Rood, who's a legend in the regiment, um, in our regiment... There is no name more hollowed, more sacred, more respected, more revered than Tommy Prince. We have drill halls named after Tolly, uh, Tommy, uh, roads, buildings, um, parade squares, all named after Tommy Prince, who was the soldier of soldiers of soldiers. And we only got him at the end of his career for the last couple of years while he was in Korea. But that's not where he started. He started... In the first special service force, really, I mean, that's not uh, the the very, very beginning, but that's where the fame started. And uh, he was able to sort of show the world and the military what he was capable of. And what people don't know is that all the soft world, the special operations world, world, all stems from the first special service force. And the most decorated member of the first special service force is Tommy Prince. The, the famous nickname of the first special service force was the Devil's Brigade. So they gave this nickname to the entire unit. But it was only one man that earned that name. It was only one man that the Germans started calling the Devil. And that was Tommy Prince because of what he did again and again and again and again, not one exploit, not two, but dozens of them, and received medals from numerous countries, from France, from England, from America, from Canada. And even though he was the most decorated soldier in the history of our regiment and the most decorated Indigenous veteran of all time, he probably only received roughly half of the medals and decorations that he deserved. For two reasons. One, he was non-commissioned. He was a sergeant. And there's a long problem within the military where the officers get more than the non-commissioned. And sadly, there's another reason. Because he's First Nations. 
And the native guy just ain't going to get the same amount of medals as everybody else. Today in the studio is one of the daughters of Tommy Prince, who to say I'm honored to have Karen with me is a massive understatement. Thank you. Karen, my sister, thank you so much for being here today. You're welcome. Have you been on one of these podcasts before? Never. (laughs) So I'm your first. That I'll, I'll, I'll take that to my grave. <laughs> what an incredible honor to have you today. And um, even uh, having simply been in your presence and met you at the, um, what was the name of that, where we met at the Museum of the Regiments for the Special Service Force? It was like their anniversary or birthday or what was that? And, uh, and come actually, out just a little closer. It's actually, um, it, it's called... It's called the First Special Service Forces Bratz Contingent. So all the children of the vets that have served. Okay. So we were at a, a reunion they hold every year in honor. So they do that every year? Every year, but all over United States and Canada. So one time it's in Canada, the next time it's in United States. And have uh, anybody sprung for your trip? Have you been down to the States for any of these? Uh, no, this was my first one, actually. Your first one? Yes. So you're really blazing new territory now with telling the story of your father. Yes. When did this start? When did this? Uh, when did you start telling the story? Oh, it's been relatively new. I'm the last child back into the family, and um, so I, I'm kind of learning along the way, basically, and just making connections through um, people who have served in the military. And uh, even yesterday, I met some incredible vets and incredible people that are quite involved with the armed forces. So that's how I'm making some connections and able to kind of tell my dad's story and basically my story as well. Have you been learning new things about your dad and, and your and your heritage over the last few years? Y- yes and no. My dad has been written about quite a bit, you know, so... Uh, I started actually finding out a little bit when I was a younger girl at about 13 that he, that I might be possibly related to him. So, um, not knowing and having no confirmation at that point in time, I just started collecting. Well, actually my father started, my adopted dad started collecting newspaper clippings. So that's kind of when it started for me. And I just wasn't even really sure what that connection was at that time. But uh, I, I knew he had to be a relative, or he figured, my, my adopted dad figured he had to be a relative of some sort. So, was there, what, what point in time did you actually meet him? Or did you ever meet him? I never got to meet him. Um, yeah, I, uh, I actually didn't come into the, the Prince family until I was about, no, let me think, I think it was like 28 29. So it wasn't until then until I actually got a confirmation from my mother that, that this is the family I belong to. I didn't meet my uh, birth mother until I was 31. Mm-hmm. And then I got to meet my half-brother at the same time. So that's a very bizarre feeling that I can understand. Mm-hmm. It's strange. Yes. It is a strange feeling. Hard to articulate. Yes. He was uh, one of, I think, nine or 11 children. 11 children. 11 children. Yeah. 
And uh, have you met any of his brothers and sisters? I actually ended up meeting my Auntie Harriet before she passed away. Okay. Um, basically, way back when I was about 30. She was a grand old lady. <laughs> she was wonderful and just so accepting and loving. Have you met any um, World War II or Korean vets who served directly with Tommy? Um, I have. I just couldn't even remember their names at this point in time. Um, and I'm also on social media, so I end up being able to talk with people who have either, you know, they're on leaving messages and that type of thing. So I'm able to connect up that way. A dear friend of mine, Marie Blackburn, is the founder of the Veterans Association Food Bank, and her father is a Korean veteran and was a Patricia. So uh, it didn't occur to me to ask him if he had met your father. (laughs) But I'm going to have to do that next time I see Marie. Right. Do you feel connected to him? Do you you think uh, of a man that you have never met as your father? That's a funny question. It isn't. It is. It is. It's a very interesting question. Um, You know, I've read so many stories about him. I've learned from so many people. It's interesting because so many other people know his story more than I do. So Mm -hmm. it's very, um, it's very odd. (laughs) Um, And yet I I have that pride that this was my dad. (laughs) Yeah. You know. Still um, your bloodline. Yes. Yes, indeed. Um, and uh, I, 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 on one hand, I do feel connected, and on the other hand, I don't. <laughs> so. Well, it's tough. It's somebody you've never met. Um, I've never met my birth father, and no idea. You know, uh, don't have a picture, nothing. Wow. And um, were I to have that, you'd be like, well, what do you do now? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it would be a very odd place to be. But here you are as his uh, descendant, mm-hmm. starting to, to tell that story. Do you feel a, as you meet people from the Patricias or the First Special Service Force that are now the Green Berets and, and Canadian Special Forces, as you meet these people, does it start to feel like there's a weight on your shoulders to tell his story? Oh. Yes and no. Um, but I'm not really giving you any straight answers. No, no, no this is fine. Any answers you want. <laughs> um, I think his story is, is something that a lot of our serving uh, forces people can relate to. They know of him. Um, even right down at, 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 as a young cadet, if you were a young cadet, you start learning about who my dad was and, and, and what his service was and his dedication. Um, I think now, um, you know, he was a survivor of the Elkhorn Residential School. So right now it's a very current um, issue happening in Canada for the truth and reconciliation aspect. And um, I don't know, I just think he... <laughs> I think there's a lot. There's there's going to be a lot of connections here. Um, my part in my dad's story is is part of the '60s scoop. So it all kind of seems with the Canadian historical things that are happening right now in in society. Um, 
Yeah, I think I think there's a there's still a big need to talk about his story and how it relates and how it reflects. I know when I meet first service people, armed forces people, the um, they're just so honored and they're just so kind and they're just so um, amazing people. You know, and, and uh, I think when you ask me about, you know, how I feel connected with my dad, that's how I feel connected. You know, that, that uh, I'm learning about how my dad's exploits, but how it also affected them, what they know of him. And um, I think that's what my answer would be at this stage of the game. Um, to say he set the bar for our regiment is... It's such an understatement. Um, do you feel that the telling of your dad's story and making it more public and, and better known... Let me start differently. About uh, three weeks ago, I was uh, on a reserve, of uh, ancestral reserve of a dear friend of mine who I had to bury. And uh, I was the only white guy there, just me and my son. And we were accepted as family because we had, uh, or I had looked after this man for about three years. He was um, uh, cognitively disabled. So it was a respite uh, home and and I was his service worker for three years. And uh, the love that all of us, that uh, a lot of love for this guy. So I was accepted as family and was really really fascinating. None of them knew the name of your father. And to me, that is an opportunity. I believe that the story of your father has the power to be a beacon of light, a source of pride, for all First Nations people. I believe that. To rewrite the script of stereotypes and create a new stereotype. Mm -hmm. A stereotype of a true warrior, of resilience, of strength, of respect, of pride. That should be the right stereotype, a more accurate stereotype that could lift so many and in fact i believe because canada is incredibly poor at telling its own stories especially military stories Mm -hmm. um i think that is the one story that should be on the lips of every canadian regardless of of background that every canadian immigrant should know the name of your father and be uh, apprised of his stories I believe it should be part of our social fabric. How does that land with you saying something as grandiose as what I just said? <laughs> well, I feel overwhelmed <laughs> because I think we all have a duty for those of us that know his story to share, to, to get the word out there. And I, and I agree with you. Um, one of the new uh, situations that I'm doing now is I'm going into schools to talk about my dad. And um, 
try to get the word out to the young ones first. <laughs> and uh, um, I think there was an inroad recently as of October 28th when he was on a Canadian stamp and still is. Mm-hmm. That was such a... Um, I'm, I'm not sure what even the word is. I'm kind of lost at words right now. But um, definitely it, it's opened some doors. Well, there's a lot of talk to get him on the $5 bill. Yes. <laughs> there's a lot of competition out there. <laughs> there's a lot of um, wonderful Canadians. Well, Hopefully he'll make it. <laughs> I'll, I'll do what I can on my end. <laughs> Me too. I'll do that too. <laughs> you know. Uh, so will Mike Root over there. It's not often they get a studio audience. Uh, right now I've got two dogs and Mike <laughs> in the audience. Um, but uh, having them on the $5 bill at least will start the conversation for a lot of people of, who the hell is this? Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> Who's this dude on the $5 bill? But that's where uh, he definitely deserves that. Yeah, he definitely deserves that. But the country deserves that. And all First Nations people deserve that. Not to have just some ancient face, but a man who passed away in 1977. Yes. Like Elvis did. <laughs> yes. I think Elvis was the same year. Yeah. Pretty, so I think you're right. <laughs> I think it's pretty close. It's pretty close. But um, critical. What are... Uh, some some of the lesser known stories that uh, you've been told about your dad. I've read the Wikipedia page. I printed it off for you. If you don't have it, have you read it? Uh, yes, yes, I have. What do you think? Is it on? Is it off? Yeah, I think it's pretty close. It seems pretty accurate. I thought it was pretty good, and <laughs> yeah. I thought it did a a good way. Um, I thought it did justice as well to pointing out the realities of some of the. And I I can't believe I'm about to use this term, but systemic racism. That because uh, it was system based that kept him from receiving the the acknowledgement that that he did. But um, are there any exploits that uh, you've been told about that uh, wouldn't that can't be found in a Wikipedia page? Oh, several. <laughs> oh, get closer to the microphone, Karen. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you about one, um, and, and I I actually am connected on a, a, a Facebook. So I've been actually been able to get a couple of stories from people who just want to connect up. They want to acknowledge the fact that they've either known of my dad or, you know, they, they want to share um, and connect with me. And one story that I heard um, not too long ago was about a young lady who had unfortunately did not realize what the time was and uh, found herself out on the streets of Winnipeg after dark. And she was quite frightened to walk by herself. And um, my dad and a buddy of his happened to be just walking along at the same time, and um, they could tell that she seemed quite distressed. And maybe she might have been distressed because they were walking. <laughs> Who knows? But anyways... There's a big native guy walking yeah. towards you. <laughs> and uh, I think she actually recognized him. Oh, wow. And so she kind of felt safe because she knew of who he actually really was. And so she came up to him and she said, you know, I have three blocks to walk and I'm afraid. You know, I, I put myself in this stupid position and I need I need some, I need somebody to protect me to get me on my way home. And you know, my dad stopped what they were, he and his buddy, 
they decided they were going to help her right to her doorstep to make sure she got home safe. And if that's not a real hero, I don't know what is. <laughs> At least from a civilian point of view. You slide your chair a little bit closer there. Well, you know what? It's um, it, it's true. The uh, And that's a beautiful story because it doesn't have to be some big, grandiose, taking out multiple uh, gun positions to be heroic. It's just being decent and to put others first is the bottom line. Yes. Put others first, put mission before self. Mm -hmm. And that is something that your dad did again and again. Are there any stories that, uh, uh, that you're not too sure are true because Um, they're so wild? (laughs) Yeah. Well, some of them I think are a little bit quite. What's the one that you, you're not uh, convinced is true because it's just too nuts. Oh, it's the one where um, it, it's actually family-based. We were living out in Kenora in a little shanty shack. And um, just, we were actually the family. We lived in this little, I mean, we were cooking on a pot belly stove. Okay. No electricity. You know, the family was very poor. This is back when I was still a little papoose, you know, I was like a baby basically. So I didn't, I don't know what was going on. My sister seems to remember this story, you know, that she, uh, she remembers sitting on the floor and being instructed by my dad and my mom to cut up sheets, the tear up sheets into strips. And my dad was using kerosene and bottles and in order to get away from the, um, bears that were surrounding our house trying to get in because they smelled the food. My dad made a, a what, what were those called? Molotov? Uh, Molotov cocktail. Molotov cocktail. Yeah, it's, a, it's a Russian invention. It's cheap and effective. <laughs> well, um, that's what he had at hand. He had to save the family from the bears trying to get break down the shack. So that's what he used. Lit them on fire and we ran for our lives. Well, I didn't. I was being carried but, um, yeah, we ran into the Kenora, little town of Kenora, to look for uh, someplace safe to be. So, and I'm thinking, you know, I almost don't, didn't believe that story until my sister said she remembered sitting on the floor ripping up sheets for that particular incident. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> the ribbons of sheets are for the wicks. Yeah, so that's... <laughs> yeah. I gather that that's... Uh, yeah. I think that might be a true story, actually. <laughs> it, it might be. One uh, of the war stories that uh, is fascinating is when uh, there was the, the comms lines that were broken. And so uh, he he was on his own, which he was a lot, uh, uh, one and two man teams, uh, the walking one man army, a real Rambo. That, uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, and he comes across these uh, farmers' clothing in uh, in, in the, the, in, in the, in the farmhouse. Yeah. So he uh, ripped off his uniform, threw on the the clothing, probably grabbed a cane to make himself look frail, and uh, uh, just went out in the field when they're surrounded by Germans on one side and Allied forces on the other, and um, and pretending to tie his shoes, he reties the uh, the comms lines, yes. and then shakes his fists at the Germans, like "Ah, you're <laughs> hey, you're bombing my field," you know, yeah. and uh, does that uh, on on both sides. And the incredible courage it would be to do something like that as a uh, young soldier. One of the stories, um, not nearly as uh, 
PG <laughs> as what we've done so far uh, is, and it was it's on his wiki page as, as well. But because he would wear moccasins, he was able to walk so quietly, yes. and uh, the they would said he moved like a shadow. And he would go behind enemy lines, crawl into uh, German barracks while they're sleeping, yes. leave them notes, uh, steal their boots, yep. and slit the throat of the odd one. Every third, I heard, yes. Every third, something like that, yeah. And uh, just to freak them the hell out. Yeah. And, of course, it, it worked because he could have killed them all. Yes. And uh, But he would... Kill, kill every third in their sleep, steal boots, leave notes. Um, so he became that phantom. It's kind of like what uh, Batman tactics. Yes. You know, <laughs> but he was a real Batman. <coughs> and he became a phantom. He became um, uh, a specter in the minds of the German soldiers. And they were absolutely terrified of him. And who wouldn't be? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know? He was a real-life boogeyman, yes. that, um, but that's all tactical and would work. Um, and it's that story uh, above all, because he did it more than once. Like, he, he made a game of it. And, um, like, who does that? Nobody does that. <laughs> and yet, not in any World War II movie uh, will you ever see a depiction of somebody doing something similar. Mm. Now, I imagine you've seen uh, the 1968 movie, The Devil's Brigade. Yes, I have. What a tragedy that is. Yeah. The name of The Devil's Brigade is from your dad, because he was that phantom. It was earned by him, not the regiment. Mm -hmm. And yet the whole regiment took it as a point of pride. And in the movie... He wasn't even mentioned. He wasn't depicted. I don't think there was a First Nations guy in the movie. You're right. There isn't. I don't think there's a single one. Um, how does that land for you? That's got to feel, I don't know. How does it feel knowing that? Well, it's time for a remake, isn't it? <laughs> I think it's time for a remake indeed. <laughs> how should that remake look? What's the right way to do it, Karen? Oh, I don't know. So not uh, <laughs> that's that's not my forte. Um, I don't know. I think I think um, there are just so many Indigenous vets and people that still serve. They need to be acknowledged and recognized at this stage of the game. Not just my dad. I no, think, there's I think so many, but, but so many. But we need to start somewhere. And I think that's that's the that's the key thing right there. We need to start somewhere. So, yeah. Mr. Mugabo is another, and yeah. there, I mean, there's so many. And um, uh, Francis Mugabo, uh, the greatest sniper ever, ever, yes. ever. You know, um, these are are stories that need to be told. But what a wonderful place to start, though. And I think the most marketable place to start to sort of whet the appetite of people to want to hear these stories because it has to be marketable at the end of the day. Yes. You know, you can't just do something for histori- for history's sake. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got to be marketable. And it's the birth of the Green Berets. I think that's a good story. I think people would want to know the birth of the Green Berets is from an Indigenous Canadian. Yes, I agree. Because Green Berets are cool. They made a Rambo movie. 
<laughs> incredibly realistic. <laughs> that was sarcasm, just for anybody giving me a hard time here. Hmm. Well, moving forward, what do you want um, your legacy to be in telling this story? Oh, wow. Um, Jeepers, I've never been asked that question before. Yeah, I do that a lot. Um, I think, I think for me right now, I'm I'm really focused on, um, starting with the, the great, great schools and getting his story out. Why is he a hero? Why do we need to acknowledge his him and his um, his legacy, and how does that affect every Canadian? I think that's part of where where I come in. Um, I want my children to be proud of their grandpa, to know who he was, what he did, what he accomplished. So we, we, we often talk about his grandpa, their grandpa prince. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. Sorry, I just can't, I don't have a real great answer. I, you know, I think it just, is. I think it is a beautiful answer. I think it's a perfect answer, Karen. You're doing well. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're doing well. Um, do you have plans to speak to any First Nations communities? Or it's kind of tough to get a crowd together at a res, isn't it? It is. And um, at this stage of the game, um, I am just very fortunate to be meeting people and being invited to do things such as this podcast. Um, and uh, I'm kind of late in the game, you know. I was the last child coming into the family, so I kind of sort of am kind of feeling like I'm rushing to pick up the pieces here and <laughs> get it all together. So um, uh, I feel like I'm doing a social studies project sometimes. I'm getting information together about my dad, and there's, um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I, uh, um, oh boy, I lost my train of thought there That's for okay. a minute. I'm sorry. Can you repeat the question? <laughs> I have no idea, Mike. What did I say? Okay, we're all paying attention, yeah, weren't we? He <laughs> doesn't know either. Babbling. <laughs> all right. No, it's all right, Karen. Um, is there any, anything else that needs to be said that hasn't been said that, uh, that you want to share? Um, I just want to convey on behalf of my brothers and sisters, Miigwech, thank you. Thank you, Canada Post, you know, for, for making a stamp of dad and, um, we're very proud of him. We're very honored to be alive at this time, even though he's not. I know he would have been just, he would have been blown away by it all. I know he would have. He's, you know, um, and, and uh, we're all just very, very fortunate to know of his exploits and, and, and to be descendants of him. There's another message as well that I think needs to, needs to be said is that 
we have to tell our stories better, and we have to do it while our heroes are still alive. Absolutely. That's something my friend Mike here has done really well, is he's acknowledged those that are doing good things while they're alive. Because nobody was waving the flag of your dad until after his passing. That's right. And that is a horrible loss to our culture. There are, why, why do we have these big funerals and memorial services? Why don't we have that level of acknowledgement while somebody's still kicking? That's a really good question. I agree. I, um, there's another Tommy in, in, in our regiment. He lost his legs on our tour. Tom Anderson. And he's something that, somebody that wants no acknowledgement for anything. You know, being a humble fellow that he is. Um, but why are we waiting until he's dead to acknowledge him? Why don't we acknowledge him now? Yeah. You know? Acknowledge him now. Do something nice now. Not later. Exactly. And for the PPCLI Association, I hope you're listening because you know the story I'm talking about. Don't wait. Tell our stories now. Be proud now of the living. Remember the dead. But lift the living while they're still living. Yes. Absolutely. A lot of people go their whole lives, Karen without ever finding a sense of purpose. I don't know what you've done before today, but I promise you, what you are doing now is steeped in purpose. Steeped in powerful, healing purpose. And it's only your voice that has the power to tell these stories. No one else can do it. Well, I hope I do a good job of it. <laughs> I think you're kicking butt. <laughs> thank you. Sister, thank you for being here today. Thank you. Tunsi. Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. We are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible. With a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. Please support this mission by subscribing to and rating the show on your favorite podcast channel, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Spotify, Anchor, or anywhere else. By doing so, you'll help others find the help which just might save their life. Also, please help by sharing a link to the show on all of your social media channels every time a new episode drops. And always remember to recover out loud. <laughs>